Hey, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Faith Lutheran, and uh, welcome in Christ's name uh, as well. Um, uh, several months ago, uh, early in January, we started a sermon series uh, going through the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, here we are several months later, and uh, we've been spending time uh, the last two weekends uh, in John 8, and today we're going to actually finish up, try to finish up John 8. Um, chapter by chapter, verse uh, by verse. And so if you want to go ahead and go to John 8, uh, 31. And we're at a place in Scripture where Jesus is having a very intense, uh, I'll just say confrontational uh, conversation uh, with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. Uh, And it's really around this idea of slavery and freedom. If you haven't picked up on that theme already uh, this morning, slavery and freedom. Uh, and and I, it's, it's a great text, and uh, so go ahead and go to John 8, 31. We're going to get there uh, in just a moment. Can you imagine uh, being born into slavery? I don't think most of us can. We live in uh, a nation of freedom. But slavery was a normal part of uh, Jesus' life. That's all Jesus knew growing up. He stepped onto the pages of history as a slave. Uh, All of Israel uh, stepped onto the pages of Israel as slaves, and they went through uh, being slaves and in captivity from one ruler after another. So as Jesus uh, grew up and he's teaching and preaching and providing miracles for the people as evidence of uh, who he he is, um, all they knew was slavery. So when he's starting to talk about what it means to be free and experience freedom, I can about imagine that... Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, and all the disciples are thinking to themselves, we've only known slavery. We've only known bondage. We don't know what it means to be free people. But a part of the Israelite history is they were told that there would be a Messiah who would come, who would liberate them, who would set them free, who would help to to break their shackles of slavery. And they're, of course, wondering, is it Jesus? Is this the man who has come to set us free. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, this whole idea of slavery and freedom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity to worship you today as free people, as people who have been set free uh, by uh, what Jesus has done on the cross for us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like you are a prisoner in your own cage? That you are stuck, that you are in a place that you didn't think you would be, that you maybe even feel a little bit confined, constrained? It's interesting, as we were singing this morning, I was thinking, it, it, we, we sing it, it is Jesus followers that we're free, that we're free in Christ. And the truth is, we live in a, in a day and time where uh, people have never been so free as we are today. But yet, as I talk to people and I listen to their stories, I hear stories, even from Christians, of people who feel uh, shackled, who feel enslaved, people who feel in bondage. They feel stuck. I think it's so interesting that we are, as Americans, and I want to go on record, I love being an American. I love being, you know, a free person. 
I think freedom is good. But I think in so many ways we have misunderstood what it means to be free. We've spent a lot of time arguing and uh, fighting for freedom. But oftentimes we don't spend enough time in the choices, making those choices of freedom. And so we, may, we, we get freedom and we think to ourselves, I'm going to make all these decisions. And as we make that, we live into our freedom, what we're actually doing is we're making choices that actually enslave us and put us in bondage. And so it's, it's a great paradox, it's a great irony, that the more freedom that we have, the more things that we can do, the more bad choices you and I often make. We actually get our freedom stolen in the midst of all these choices in our lives. And so what do we do? What do we do when we feel enslaved? Is we oftentimes blame others, right? Well, it's their fault. It's someone else's fault. Even though I am feeling enslaved in maybe relationships, maybe you're feeling enslaved, maybe you're feeling in, in bondage in a, in a job or in a career, or maybe you're feeling enslaved as it relates to your finances. The truth is, we put ourselves there. We put ourselves in a cage in so many different areas of our lives. And this is the context to which Jesus come, comes and he says, let me tell you a little bit about freedom. Let me invite you to experience freedom. So John 8, verse 31 to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now this whole idea where Jesus talks about, if you hold to my teachings, hold to my teachings, this sometimes gets translated as abide, if you abide in my word. The Greek term here is meno, and it shows up about 35 times in the New Testament. And John uses this word 31 times. We're going to see this as we continue through the Gospel of John. Over and over and over, Jesus is going to talk about abiding, living in, dwelling in, spending time with, connecting with. Jesus says, if you hold to, if you abide in my word, then you are my, my disciples. And this is why last year I invited you all and many of you accepted the challenge of abiding, dwelling, uh, spending time in God's Word. Not just kind of going through it a little by little, but going through all of God's Word. To really abide and dwell and spend time in God's Word. And this year, of course... Many of you are going through the Gospel of John. We, we've slowed down. We said, you know, we're not going to, um, you know, go through the entire Bible, but we're going to do a deep dive in, in the Gospel of John. And, and so we're abiding in God's Word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just letting it wash over us, inviting God and the Holy Spirit to speak to us through uh, the Word. And, and if you're a guest this morning, we actually have one of these for you, and there's a reading plan uh, that goes along with it, and it's our way of saying thank you so much uh, for being here uh, today. So uh, if you're a guest today, make sure you pick one of these up on your way out, and uh, uh, if, if you're a, a guest this morning from, I'll just say randomly, San Antonio, Texas, um, if you want to come on up here and I'll give you this uh, as a gift from San Antonio, all the way from San Antonio, Texas for being here today. 
never met before, stranger, come here this morning. Uh, but again, we want to just, we want to continue to... We got French New Guinea, okay, French New Guinea in the con- congregation today, awesome. Are you really from French New Guinea? Uh, Guyana. Guyana, okay, all right. Yeah. So is that in South America, Africa? South America. Okay, there's kind of the northern part of South America there. Brazil. Okay, very good. Welcome. Awesome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Awesome. So you never know who's going to show up in church on Sunday. But this is what it means uh, to just really sit in God's word, to dwell in God's word. And Jesus says, you know, if if you need to uh, uh, hold to my uh, teaching. And when you do that, then you're really my disciples. And isn't it interesting, I find it interesting anyways, that so many people talk about Jesus and, and have ideas about Jesus and they think to themselves, well, I think this is what Jesus wants me to do, so I'm just going to do that. But they haven't really spent any time in God's word. And you can probably even think of people who say, well, I think this is what Jesus is all about, what he wants me to do. Jesus doesn't say, just do that. He says, if you want to really be my disciple, spend time in my word. And this is what we try to do here at Faith Lutheran. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love that phrase. You've probably heard that phrase. Maybe you were at a, a commencement recently and, and somebody stood at an academic institution. Academic institutions love this phrase, right? In fact, it's emblazoned. It's, it's emboldened. Uh, you'll even see it on buildings on college campuses and universities if you put it up there. And there we go. That's at the University of Texas. Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And maybe you hear that. And sometimes when I hear uh, academics speak of knowing the truth and the truth will set you free, I kind of smile a little bit. Actually, I chuckle because that's not what Jesus means at all. See, when they say, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free, what the academics are talking about when you have knowledge, when you have uh, academic information, then you're going to, and it's going to set you free. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. And the reason why I chuckle is because it's supposed to be smart people who put these things up here, right? And any good academic should know that text without context is pretext. And so what they've done is they've ripped a verse out of the Bible and they've put it up on a building and taken it completely out of context It makes me wonder how smart they actually are. Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He's not talking about knowledge or information. I'm all for academia. I'm all for getting a degree and and all that good stuff. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you want to know truth, you're looking at him. Jesus says, if you want to be set free, it's not about knowledge or information. It's about a relationship with me. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And this, of course, is a very interesting uh, statement for these religious people to make. 
because this comes on the heels where they have just celebrated a a week-long celebration, a week-long party, the Festival of the Tabernacles, a party that commemorates God setting the Israelites free from slavery when they were slaves in Egypt. And they're like, well, we've never been slaves before. Hello, what did you just celebrate last week? By the way, pick up the newspaper. You're under Roman occupation. Of course you're slaves. But the interesting thing is, oftentimes, and I don't know if you see this in your own life, is that when we are enslaved, we don't oftentimes see our own slavery. When I sit with some of you and I hear your stories, it becomes so clear to me, the slavery, the bondage, and the ways in which you've got shackles around yourself and around your life, relationally, financially, careers, jobs. And I just, I hear you speak to me and I'm just like, slavery. Did you hear yourself talking? See, I can hear other people talking about slavery in their lives, and I oftentimes don't hear about slavery uh, in my own life. Denial is a powerful thing, isn't it? That's why when we're talking to or listening to an addict, they're like, I don't have a problem, I'm good. That's why people don't see their their, their problems with uh, their cell phones and their addictions and how much time they spend on their phones or on technology. When we all have them. Some of us, it's food. I don't have a problem with I don't overeat. Are you kidding me? I'm fine. I just, I just like to eat. Or shopping. I don't have a shopping problem. I just like to buy stuff, right? We can see the slavery in other people's lives, but it's harder to see in our own lives. Here's a challenge for you. Ask someone this week, what am I enslaved to? How am I enslaved? And then don't get mad at them. Because we're all enslaved. We all struggle with things that shackle us. And it's so hard for us to see it ourselves. And we need one another to call out those things in our lives, those things where we're enslaved. A couple of months ago, I got a phone call uh, from uh, some folks who attended church in Washington, Illinois. And I uh, spent about an hour on the phone with them, and they explained to me, hey, we're just, we're kind of stuck. Our church has gone off the rails, and we need some help. So we spent some time listening to them, and after a while, I just said, here's the deal. You're enslaved. You're just like Moses and the Israelites. You're stuck. And you're going to need some time to go through the wilderness before you get to the promised land. A couple weeks later, I got another phone call from somebody else. Same church. We need help. Our church has gone off the rails. Same conversation. Then another phone call a couple weeks later. Can you help us out? We're stuck. Our church has gone off the rails. Yesterday morning, John Petrillo and I went over to Washington, Illinois, and we spent a couple hours with this congregation listening to them. And it was so clear that they are enslaved to a system, they're in bondage. And what they kept sharing with us is just this, all these ideas of how they're so stuck and they don't know how to move forward. They just said, well, you know, we just, we just want things to calm down. We just want things to be the way they used to be. And I said to a couple of them, you can't go from slavery to the promised land. You got to go through the wilderness. 
And it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. You're going to have to have really difficult conversations. And what they're saying is we are so familiar. Slavery is all we've known. We just don't know how to get to the promised land. And so they've reached out to a couple of us outside of their congregation. And we've committed to walk alongside them to help them experience freedom. But they're just in this place and they don't know how, how, how to, to, to just take that next step forward into the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a scary place, right? The wilderness is unknown. At least in slavery, we know what's going on all around us. But it's that stepping out into the place that we don't know with the promise of the, 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 the promise of the promised land way off in the distance. And we hope we'll get there. We all struggle with this, this whole idea of slavery. Jesus comes along and says, I know you're enslaved. And they're like, no, we're not enslaved. We're fine. He says, let me keep talking to you about what it means to experience freedom. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this whole idea of freedom, we Americans love our freedom. I love freedom. Don't you love freedom? Freedom is awesome. But freedom is a paradox. Make no mistake about it. Because when we talk about freedom as Americans, freedom as Westerners, what we're really saying is freedom means do whatever you want. I just want to do whatever I want. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we mean by freedom? I just want to do whatever I want. I want to be free so I can be me. I can do what I want to do. And Jesus is going to say that's not the definition of freedom. The definition of freedom is living in following and obeying God's word in the midst of those con constraints, in, in the midst of those parameters. That's where freedom is found. And we Americans, we chafe at this, don't we? Because we want to be free. We want to do whatever we want. Jesus was the freest person who ever walked on this earth. And yet he says, I am obedient to my father's teachings. I do the will of my father. Jesus stood before the people over and over and says, I don't do what I want to do. I do what God has called me to do, to live in his will. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's talking about freedom and slavery. He's really echoing this idea uh, that comes from the Old Testament over and over and over. Psalm 119 uh, verse 32 says it this way. I will run in the way of your commandments when you set my heart free. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? I will run in the way of your commandments when you set my heart free. We see these words, commandments and freedom, and it's just like, how do those words even go together? How does that even make sense? I mean, there are just some words that don't seem like they should be uh, in the same sentence, right? Words like jumbo shrimp. They just shouldn't be, you know, together. Or government efficiency, right? I mean, how, how do those words even fit together? Or uh, uh, Cubs and playoffs. I mean, how, how, does that even, how does that even happen? Every year I just got to get in my Cubs, you know, just kind of dig in the Cubs a little bit. But, uh, I mean, there, and that's what's going on here. Commandments and freedom. 
most of us think commandments, I'm going to run away from commandments in order to be free, right? We think about the Ten Commandments. Oh, I don't want to do those things because I want to be free. But what the psalmist says is, I run in the way I run toward the commandments so that my heart can be set free. See, I think God has gotten a bad rap when it comes to the commandments. We tend to think to ourselves, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That God's just trying to ruin our fun. God's just trying to put us in a box. God's just trying to constrain us. God's just trying to... uh, ruin all the things that we want to do, right? That's what we think of when we think of the Ten Commandments. God's just trying to, he's just trying to ruin everything. Why would we want to follow the Ten Commandments? But the very reason why God gave us the Ten Commandments, these boundaries, these parameters, is so that we can enjoy freedom, so that we can experience freedom. And as we look through each of those Ten Commandments, you see that those were not given uh, in in order to ruin our fun, that they were meant to give us freedom. Past couple days, I've been uh, driving around uh, with a young man who's getting his driver's license, and he's he's practicing. So we're looking at the signs on the road, and we're doing all these things. And I, I got to thinking about you all this morning. What if there were no road signs? You know, what if, what if everybody just did whatever they wanted to do out on the road? What if you were to go out on 55, uh, Interstate 55, and, and the sign, uh, instead of saying uh, speed limit 70, which is going to ruin your fun, what if it just said just drive as fast as you want, do whatever you want? Is that freedom? Maybe for a few minutes for that person who's just really opened it up, right? But there are consequences. Freedom in, in the short term, it, sin always feels good. For a short time. And so God gave the Israelites these parameters, these boundaries, so that they could actually experience true freedom. Not just this short-term fleeting freedom. Jesus knows freedom. He says, freedom is not found in do whatever you want. As the world says, freedom is found in obeying my commandments. Not because God's trying to ruin your fun. Because he's placed you in such a way, in such a place, so that you can experience real freedom. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what you have, I have seen in, my, in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have known is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus goes straight after him. 
He looks at this group of religious people. He calls them sons of Satan. I mean, Jesus never read Dale Carnegie's book, right? How to Win Friends and Influence People. He didn't care that Jesus did not come to this earth to make friends. He came to testify to the truth. And he's harsh sometimes. And we think to ourselves, I want the Jesus of love, right? I came to church today to get the Jesus of love. Where's the Jesus of love? Yet because I tell you the truth, you did not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of, my, of sin? I'm telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus walks into church and says, you don't belong to God. You're sons of Satan. You're daughters of Satan. You know, I talk to people in the church and they're just like, well, Jesus is love. The Jesus I worship, the Jesus I serve is all about love. And that's true. But what they've done is they've picked and they've chosen which particular scripture texts Jesus is preaching on. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was not, he didn't have a hard time telling people, you're following Satan. You are not a child of God. And I think we ought to be really uncomfortable with that. Jesus is a God of love for sure, but he's not afraid to tell the truth. We need to wrestle with that. Figure out what that means for our lives. Because we just want Jesus to be a, a God of love. But he's also going to tell us the truth. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Jesus is saying, hey, I know God. I know him personally. He's my father. And I follow his will. I don't do whatever I want to do. I follow the will of the father. And so this is why I've come, is to teach you. And when you follow God's teachings, you'll be set free. Can you imagine experiencing that kind of freedom in your life? Freedom to not be worried about what other people think about you. Freedom to not be concerned about all the cares of this world, what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, what kind of, what, where, which uh, league you're going to put your kids in for sports. Just no cares in the world. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about. It's in direct opposition to the world. The slavery, which we all get stuck in for sure. The sun sets you free. We're free indeed. This reminds me of when the Apostle Paul was in jail. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. And the ironic thing about Paul's writings when he was in jail is he oftentimes talked about freedom. And he was never concerned about uh, you know, being stuck in jail. For him, being in jail was just fine. 
He writes this in Philippians one twenty one. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so Paul would talk about this over and over and over. I don't care if I'm in jail. So what? If they kill me, I, I don't care. And the jailers would come around and be like, Paul, shut up. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. He's like, all right. I'm awesome with that. Because if you kill me, I, I get Jesus. I get to be with Jesus forever. Well, then we're not going to kill you. All right, then I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. Can you imagine living in that kind of freedom in your own life, not having all the concerns of the world, all the stresses and the things that, that get us down, all those things that enslave us, but just have that freedom? I, just, I read Paul's writings, and I'm just like, that guy was so free. He spent so much time in jail, but he was so free. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than the prop, our, father, our father Abraham? Yes. He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are, the son of God? Jesus replied, I glorify myself. My glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old yet, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Yes. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego emi, Yahweh. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Well, of course they want to stone him. Of course they want to kill him. Jesus is proclaiming, he's boldly saying to them, I'm God. I am. I was there when, with Abraham. I was there before the creation of the world. I have always existed. And they're so mad. And they're picking up stones now. And they want to kill him. Because he is claiming that freedom can only be found in him and obeying his teachings. Not freedom in doing whatever you want, but freedom in following his teachings. And this is a different kind of freedom than what we're so used to thinking about. It's a freedom that actually comes to us in our lives, and it changes us. It's a freedom that we don't have to do stuff. We want to do these things. That's what happens when we spend time in God's Word. It changes us. It transforms us. It makes us want to be obedient and follow His teachings. It, it actually changes our desires the more time we spend with Jesus. I mean, who wants that freedom? We just don't, our circumstances just don't matter but that we've got this internal freedom that whether I live or die, it's all good because I am free. I mean, we want that, right? So the question is, how do we get it? How do we get that freedom in our lives? You know, Andy Stanley, uh, the preacher, he says, you know, when you preach, don't just preach uh, what is true, but preach what is helpful. So I, I, up to this point in time, I, I hope I've preached what is true. 
So we're going to pivot a little bit now to what is helpful. You, you want to know how to do this? You want to know how to live free? You want to, you want to, to, to get some insight on how we do this? When I'm not sure what to do uh, or, or where to go, I always go to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has got some good stuff to say. And this is what I think C.S. Lewis means uh, or describes when he talks about how we can experience freedom. C.S. Lewis says this, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. I'm going to read it again. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. What C.S. Lewis is saying is the order matters. We have to put first things first. If you want to experience freedom in your life, you have to put first things first. And I look at our lives in our community and in the world, and we get this wrong over and over and over. This is how we organize our lives, even as Christians, over and over and over. We identify what's important to us, but we don't, still don't put first things first. I hear oftentimes people in the church or in the world putting social issues first. And then we're going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus or a little bit of the Bible on whatever social issue of the day is going on. I hear people in the church putting politics first, and then we just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus and the Bible on top of it to justify whatever our, our political persuasion is or our social position is. I hear people putting hobbies first. I hear people putting work first. And then we'll, well, we'll get around to Jesus. We'll get around to following and obeying his word. I think one of the greatest shifts in our culture, I'll just say over the last 20 years, is the ways in which families have put children first over against their relationship with Jesus Christ. People make all sorts of decisions all day long. See those rocks outside the jar? That's church. They have good intentions, right? I mean, we all have good intentions. As Jesus followers, we want to, we desire to. But if we don't translate those, those intentions into actual choices and putting first things first, this is what happens to Sunday morning. This is what happens to our relationship with Jesus. I'll just be real honest with you. This morning, uh, this week, uh, earlier this week, I got up on a morning and I went for a walk. And I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to um, go out, spend some time, just, you know, go for a walk. Uh, I'll get to my devotions, my Bible reading, my prayer time later. Guess what I never got to that day? My Bible reading and my prayer time. I didn't put first things first. And we all do this. And I think C.S. Lewis is so right. We've got to reclaim and put first things first. And so I want to be just real practical how we do this. And it starts, I think, just, just Sunday morning. This is the first day of the week. This is Sunday. And we make Sunday morning worship a priority. And I know you got stuff going on this week. And I, got, I know you got stuff going on today. 
And maybe you're trying to get in ahead of the rain and you're trying to mow the lawn and, and do all that list of things. Well, maybe I'll get to church today. Maybe I won't. But I think when we just say, put a stake in the ground, say, I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm going to be with God's people. I'm going to make this a priority. I'm not just going to have good intentions. I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to show up. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, right? That was an easy one. That's low-hanging fruit for us. I would say also, and again, I'm preaching to myself here. I hope you hear that. Put your daily Bible reading and your prayer time at the very first part of the day. Put your first things first. You may get to it later on in the day. You may not. But if you wake up in the morning, rather than pick up that, that little lie machine that you have next to your bed, check your emails, check the weather, check what's going on in the news, the world for the day. Before you pick that up, pick up scripture. Read some truth before you read the lies the world. First things first, read scripture first, spend time in God's word, spend time having some conversation with God. Jesus says it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the third thing I just want to kind of throw out there, something just very practical, very tangible, is put your giving first your financial giving. Now, when I say giving, what I actually mean is giving back. Because the biblical idea of giving to church, it's not about what we give. We believe as stewards of, of everything, that God has given us everything. We're just taking care of, right? Nothing belongs to you, nothing belongs to me. When we die, we're taking nothing with us. While we're on this earth, we're just taking care of, we're managers, we are stewards, we are caretakers of everything God gives us. And that includes our money. So when you write a check or make a donation uh, to the ministries of the church, you're not giving, I want to be very clear, you are giving back to what God has first given you. God has given you 100%. He says, I just want 10% back as a, sta as a way for you to make a statement of faith. And this idea, is, 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 it comes from first fruits. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And we see this over and over throughout the Old Testament, this way in which God has designed their agrarian society. When you get to the harvest time, the first fruits, the best, the very best, bring it to me. It's a way of acknowledging that I am number one in your life. First fruits, make your financial giving back to the church the first thing you do. Now, how we do this in our family is uh, I get paid twice a month. You guys pay me twice a month as the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church. Thank you very much for the paycheck twice a month. Beginning of the month, the middle of the month. And on my calendar, in my phone, at 7 a.m., just says tithe. So when I wake up, look, look at my phone, look at my calendar for the day, tithe, boom. I just got paid. I know I got paid. I've never not gotten paid. Thank you. I immediately go to the Faith Lutheran app. I go to Breeze. I pull out, pull it out, pay the tithe. Takes about 30, 60 seconds. Done for the rest of the month until the next time I get paid. It's so easy. 
its first fruits. So I want to challenge you. Don't give one more nickel to the ministry of this church. Don't give any more money. That's all I'm saying. Don't give more. Just make your giving your first fruits and see how God honors that. Sometimes I have conversations with some of you who are like, oh, I'm a little bit behind in my giving. I'm a little bit behind in my tithing. And I hear guilt. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God isn't trying to twist your arm. He doesn't want you to give, you know, maybe he wants you to give more. I don't know. But God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel free. And when you give first, you feel free. I don't feel enslaved in our finances because I've just made that a practice in my life. And it's so easy, you guys. It is so simple. And I know it, so many of us, we just, we get lazy, right? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll give to the church when I get to it or I'll give to it later on or something like that. But just this one little practice. And by the way, I, you guys know this. I don't know what any of you give. How much? Or if you even give it all. I I don't know those things. I don't want to know those things. So I bring this up not because, and maybe you're already practicing this. Maybe every single one of you is already practicing first fruits, right? Praise God, that's awesome. I just don't think it's true. Because sometimes you guys tell me this, right? And so I just wanted to share with you this morning, there's a way to do this, and it's really, really simple. You don't have to be enslaved. You don't have to feel guilty about your giving. You're giving to God in his ministry in this church. Make Sunday worship a priority. First things first. Make your prayer time, your scripture time, first thing you do every day, first things first. And make your giving the first thing you do when you receive some income, first things first. And when you do those things, I can assure you, you will experience freedom in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. God, we thank you uh, that you have ordered the world in such a way that you want us to be free and that we can experience your freedom. But too often, God, uh, we want to do what we want to do. We've gotten this whole definition of freedom upside down. We've stepped away from your word. We've stepped away from obeying your teachings because we think we know better. And so God, free us. Unshackle us. Release our chains, God. Because even as Christ followers, too often we become enslaved. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who has offered us freedom for now and for all of eternity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.